Welcome to Thinking Beyond Summit, brought to you today by the Public Speakers Association. I'm so excited to introduce you the amazing Mr. Fox Meyer. Fox, won't you take it from here? Tanya, thank you so very much. It's so nice to be back on another PSA virtual summit. And this week, Thinking Beyond. And when I thought about what to speak about on this, you know, with an idea of getting into the anatomy of this word grit, going beyond the word grit by sharing a few stories. And I hope over the next 20 or 25 minutes, you'll both enjoy the stories and maybe take something from them you can apply um, to your own life. So off we go. And these stories I'm about to tell you, none of them would be possible if it weren't for the, the hard work dedication and sacrifice for my parents it was because they sacrificed and what they did that allowed me to have uh, experience for five years of my life that has affected my entire life to this day so here we go it is july of 1996 and i am a rising senior in high school and i'm in my sixth summer, I'm spending, I'm spending my sixth summer in Williamsport, Pennsylvania at Williamsport Little League Baseball Camp. I spent four years there as a camper, and I was in, in 96, my second year as a coach. And I can recall one night in July, obviously, lying in bed after uh, the other coach of the team I was coaching and I put uh, the players to our team to bed and I'm, I'm lying in bed and it's 1996 so I've got a big transistor radio next to my bed actually a boombox radio and I'm listening to uh, a New York Yankees game as I did a lot in those days was an avid New York Yankees fan it's about 1:30 in the morning the game has ended the post game all of that has ended and Yankees program has gone off the air, and on comes a news bulletin. It says that there's been a, a plane crash, a TWA plane crash. And on the plane were students that were flying from here in the States to France on, a, on an abroad trip. And they were all high school students. Immediately, I became sad and, and thought about my own experience in high school and went over to my desk where I had brought my yearbook over with me from New Jersey to Pennsylvania for the summer. And I, and I looked through it, looked through some memories. And I thought these kids that perished on, on this flight aren't going to have the remainder of their high school experience. And they're not going to have a college experience if they have the means and want to do it. I thought how lucky I was to be in that position. And then I thought to myself, I have no idea where I'm going, where I'm even thinking about attending college. So a few months later, I shouldn't say a few months later, but a month and a half or so later, my parents had things lined up. Uh, my dad and I visited a couple schools, a couple colleges here in New Jersey and then one out in Ohio, as I can recall. And then I found myself sitting at my locker as a senior in high school after the school day had ended. 
And I had all my belongings with me, a folder with me. And my PE teacher walks by, a guy named Todd Irvin. I said, hey, Fox, where are you thinking about attending college? On cue, I was all prepared. I had a college folder for him and showed him the folder. He opened it up, looked through it, didn't really say anything until he said, Fox, you are a baseball junkie, but you're not good enough to play in college. These aren't baseball schools that you're looking at. Let me make a few phone calls and I'll get back to you in a few, a few days. And he did. A few days later, he, he uh, came to me after class one day and said, hey, I've gotten in contact with my alma mater and their baseball coach at the University of South Carolina. I spoke to the head baseball coach, Ray Kenner. And Coach Tanner told me that if you want to go down there one day with your dad, your mom, whomever, he'd love to show you around and uh, maybe you can be a part of the program if you decide to go there. I thought, wow. I brought the idea to my dad, um, jumped on the chance. It's October 16th of 1996. We fly from Newark Airport here in, uh, over in Newark, New Jersey, down to Columbia, South Carolina. We get to our hotel, which is the Adams Mark Hotel, all the way, if, if you've ever been to USC, very top of campus on the top of Assembly Street. And we walk six, S-I-X, six miles down from the Adams Mark Hotel to the roundhouse where the baseball coaches' offices were in, the, in those days at the bottom of campus. We get there, and we meet with Coach Tanner for the majority of the day. We get to Sarge Fry Field. It was, at the time, one of the most beautiful baseball fields I had ever set foot on. And one thing leads to another. Coach tells me straight out, hey, Fox, if you decide uh, to come here and you're accepted, I'd love to have you as part of the baseball team as a manager. And my dad and I are on our way back to the airport. We stopped by fall practice that day, fall baseball practice. I want you to picture this. Coach Tanner's throwing batting practice to a big, tall, strong catcher named Rob Stryker. And Rob, standing at about six foot three, six foot four, left-handed hitter is hitting bullet after bullet to right field. I, at that time, had never seen balls hit that hard up close. I was mesmerized. Well, Coach Tanner stops practice, looks at Rob. Everyone is completely quiet. He says, Rob, stop doing that. You're clogging up the bases. See, that's 22, 23 years ago. Coach Tanner had launch angle on his mind in today's terms. He wanted him to put more trajectory on the ball and hit more home runs. I was speechless. My dad turns to me and says, Fox, if you don't decide to come here, I'm coming here. Well, a few weeks later, a month and a half or so later, I get a letter from the University of South Carolina. Of course, we applied. Dad opens it up. I've been accepted. We're sitting at the dining room table. He looks across at me and says, Fox, do you want to do this? I didn't need to say anything. August 12th of 1997, my dad, my brother Nick, and I drive down from Ocean City, New Jersey, down to Columbia, South Carolina. One thing I can recall about the ride down there 
We're on I-95 South. We take a little rest at a rest stop, get a bite to eat, get filled up with gas, and we get back on I-95 going north. So we went, we went north for about 30 miles on, on the ride. So we went 30 miles kind of out of our way. We eventually get down there. We, we, uh, they moved me into my dormitory, Roost Room 305. Within a couple of days, my roommate gets homesick. A couple of things get moved around. The long and the short of it is I get moved to room 205 um, within two days of, my, of arriving at USC. Now, I'm in 205 for a couple of days, and some of the players are coming in and out of my dorm room introducing themselves to me. One particular player, his name was Kip. And Kip and I get to talking. We both have three-letter God-given first names, F-O-X and K-I-P. He's a local kid from Gaston, South Carolina. He went to Brooklyn Casey High School in West Columbia, South Carolina, where he, he played varsity baseball as a seventh grader, three-sport athlete. He played football and was quarterback on the football team, scored 12 points a game on the basketball team, and played varsity baseball from the seventh grade on. He was a pitcher and shortstop and was on state championship teams there for the Bearcats in 1996 and 1997. So comes to Carolina with big dreams, his hometown team. I'm a kid, um, a wide-eyed kid from New Jersey who pitched a little bit in high school and had some success. So, so we shared that together. And a few days later, as a manager on the baseball team, I'm at Sarge Fry in our equipment room and I'm folding players' jerseys long after practice is over. Well, Kip peeks his head in, says, hey, Fox, come here. And he said, first, do you remember I do you recall my name? I said, sure, you're Kip. And he introduced me to his then girlfriend and now wife, to Leslin. Well, as far as the fall season went, that season, it did not go well for Kip. It went so poorly that during the fall player meetings in November, after the fall season, the six-week season ended, uh, Coach Tanner, Flat out told Kip, he said, hey, Kip, if the season were to open tomorrow, you would not be on the opening day roster. Devastated but not dead, Kip was very upset, upset and he continued to work at his craft, uh, the craft of pitching. Opening day, February 7th of 1998. So what are we talking about? 21 years ago to the day. Kip is not on the opening day roster. Well, eventually he does make the roster and break into some midweek games in the middle of February. And then a few weeks later when conference starts, he comes in relief during a game against the University of Tennessee. Kip throws four innings of scoreless relief we come back on a Sunday and defeat Tennessee and take the series two games to one. A few weeks later, I'm in my dorm room, again, room 205, and I'm cleaning it up before I leave for the field that day. It's seven o'clock game. I probably get to the field 2.30 or three o'clock, and I'm just you know, making things 
tidy in room roost 205. In walks Kip. He doesn't say too much at all. And then we're there where we met uh, you know, about seven or eight months earlier. Eventually, he speaks. He says, Fox, I'm, I'm starting tonight. And we're playing a Friday night game against the University of Alabama. Big game under the lights in the SEC. Well, the next thing that I remember, Kip had thrown a complete game three-hitter uh, in which he struck out 15 batters. Kip went on to, upon leaving USC, to become the winningest pitcher in the program. In the year 2000, he won the Golden Spikes Award, winning 17 games and losing only one. That's basically the MVP of college baseball for that season. Kip was draft, drafted twice by major league clubs while in college, his senior year by the Colorado Rockies, whom he signed with, made it all the way up to AAA with the Rockies and a couple of other organizations. And he spent his last two years in pro ball on the same team as me, the Somerset Patriots. Together with Kip, we were the 2008 Atlantic League champions. So he finished up an awesome nine-year pro career. Point in all this, Kip had to do two things. He had to be persistent. It's, it's important to understand the meaning of the word persistence. That means doing something that is difficult over and over and over again. Kip was not only persistent, but he persevered. And there is a difference we need to note between persistence and perseverance. Okay, perseverance is doing that difficult thing over and over and over again, sometimes failing at it, getting back up, metaphorically speaking, and doing it again. His story from the time he got to USC in the fall of 1997 to the time that he left in June 2001 was a complete story of persistence and perseverance. Even in the times he was pitching well, he had to persevere. He didn't throw the hardest. He didn't. He didn't have the best breaking ball. Okay? But he persevered through those things and found a way to get a double play. Found a way to strike somebody out when he needed to. Found a way, way to make an athletic play off the mound and turn one out into two. Kip's story is definitely that of not only, again, of persistence, but that of perseverance. It's important to note the difference if we get into the anatomy of grit. The second story I want to share with you, having to do with my USC experience, is that of Chris Spikner. Chris, like Kip, was a pitcher. Chris came to us in the fall of 1998 after Kip's magical season. Uh, in, in the spring of 98. Chris, like Kip, was a highly touted prospect okay, coming to USC. And like Kip, a local kid. Like Kip, a pitcher. And like Kip, he had his ups and downs in the beginning of his USC career. Eventually, he had a great career as a Gamecock, uh, pitching in the 2002 
College World Series. Like Kip, he was drafted by a major league team and played a number of years professionally. Chris, as he's told me and told others, had his entire identity wrapped up into the fact that he wanted to pitch and stick in the major leagues. Listen, no doubt Chris had the ability to do it. No doubt he had the mental makeup to do it. But one thing leads to another. One injury leads to another. And around 2009-2010, Chris retires from the game without achieving his goal of pitching and sticking in the big leagues. One thing leads to another from there. Chris begins to get out of shape. He came to us 185, 190 pounds. By 2010-2011, Chris had ballooned to 275 pounds. He was drinking a lot, smoking a lot, a pack of day, he said. Well, one night, he finds himself outside an Outback Steakhouse. And he's standing there smoking a cigarette. And someone, a friend of his who knew him and barely recognized him, came up to Chris and looked at him and said basically this, Chris, it looks like you found yourself in a bad way. But I know that you have an iron backbone. I know you're tough. I know you're an athlete. I know you're a competitor. And I know, okay, that you are a great communicator. Listen, this person says, I know a couple in town that I started a CrossFit gym. Just thinking of you, would you be interested in A, becoming a member at that gym and getting yourself uh, back into shape because you're finding yourself in a bad way right now? And I'm a little bit uh, afraid for you because of your health. And secondly, because of your great communicative skills, would you be interested in maybe down the line, possibly getting in on the business side of this gym with these people and opening up another one in town? Again, that was thinking a long ways ahead. But Chris thought to himself, anything's better than where I am now. Um, the last thing I want to do is go on, is, is to run. The last thing I want to do is lift the weights. Um, the last thing I want to do is cross train. But he said, I'll do it. And for the first week, Chris wanted to quit every second. For the first month, <clears throat> he wanted to quit almost every second. <clears throat> Excuse me. But he made it through. And not only that, not only did he work out consistently every single week, almost every single day, but on Saturdays, he would go to this couple's house who owned and ran this gym and learn the business side of the gym that they were running. One thing leads to another. Chris gets back into playing shape. This couple says, hey, Chris, we're looking to expand. We're going to expand all the way on the Cayman Islands. Would you be interested in moving down there and starting up that gym? Chris thought to himself, you know, my, my friends and my family are right here in the Columbia area, but I got to have that, that growth mindset. 
And he thought to himself, if I'm not, if I'm not growing, I'm dying. So Chris takes the leap. He goes down to the Cayman Islands, starts up that gym, runs that gym, and eventually he helps people that were in the same position as him years earlier. He's using his pain, the pain that he had, to help other people, both from the workman side of it and the communicative side of it. Well, to make a long story longer, Chris meets his wife and marries his wife. He's now looking to branch out and, and, and start another gym in the Cayman Islands. He's Coach Chris Seven on Instagram, and he's going to start what's called the Seven Mile Corrective down in the Cayman Islands. Let's think about his story a little bit. One, I think of first, when he's first starting, right, he's 275 pounds. We live in an instant gratification society where we think things are going to happen instantly. Well, Chris couldn't think like that. If you're familiar with what's called the compound effect, here's a question. Would you rather have $3 million right now or a penny doubled for a month? Penny doubled for a month is $10 million. So Chris had that kind of mindset as he went into work out every day. Maybe I'm not in playing shape right now, but if I do this day after wretched day after wretched day, I'm going to get to where I want to go. Another note, there is a big difference between spending your time and investing your time. Spending your time to me seems like a philosophy that's going to lead to bankruptcy. Investing your time pays dividends. And the investment that Chris made back in 2011 at 275 pounds um, is certainly paying dividends today. So again, perseverance, persistence. Persistence is the Kip Bachnight story. Doing, thing, doing something that is difficult over and over and over again. But it's also perseverance. Doing that difficult thing over and over and over again, failing at it, and just trying again. Chris Spigner's story, think about spending your time versus investing your time. You want to make an investment. So whatever it is, if you're going on a new venture and you try it for the first time and you don't get to where you want to go, think about the investment that you are making. And also understand, you know, I'm thinking about Chris's move, there is never a right time to do something. Never. Sometimes all it takes is a leap of faith. So I'll end it like this. Even if tough times last, tough people, they last longer. And as you go down that mogul-ridden path, let your faith grow stronger. If you fall off the horse, get up and get back on the saddle. Victory Highway is not smooth sailing, for that road is a constant uphill battle. Even if positive thoughts don't work, negative thoughts, we know, they'll kill you. So keep your mind, your body, and your soul on high alert. You will never know the heights you will take yourself to. 
and keep one hand on the wheel and one foot on the gas. Your struggles in life are real. You could turn around and let them and tell them to kiss your you-know-what. Listen, the path to victory, it's not paved. But understand, we can all persevere. We can all persist. We can all invest our time. That was thinking beyond going into the anatomy of grit. Listen, I'm Fox Byer. If you like what you heard, please, I'd like to hear from you. Log on to my website, foxbuyer.com, F-O-X-B-E-Y-E-R.com. I would love to send you a free copy of my book of motivational and inspirational poetry called Letter Kindling, Igniting, Inspiring, and Evoking the Fire Within. That last poem you heard, The Road to Success, is one of the first poems in that book. Thank you for your time. Thank you for your space. And live inspired. Tanya, back to you.